0: Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guests, Joanna Ho and Liz Kleinrock, co-authors of an important new children's book, Eyes That Weave the World's Wonders. Just because this is a children's book does not mean it's just for children. This book is one that brings insights and enlightenment to each and every one of us. It's certain to be a comfort to many while really offering us the opportunity to be understanding and compassionate with adoption, with the adoptees, the adopted parents, and the broad circle of family and friends. So let's meet Liz and Joanna to gain more insights from them. Good morning, Joanna Ho and Liz Kleinrock. Wonderful to have you both here today.
1: Oh, it's so nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you.
0: Oh, I am so excited. I have to say, first off, that children's books are like my love. I just think they are really the wisdom for everyone to glean something. And the fact that children get them to begin with, I think, really gives them a very great, wonderful foundation. And this book, your new book, your collaboration together, Eyes That Weave the World's Wonders... Again, important, important stories to to share, wisdom to share, and and a, a good foundation for all of our futures. And I imagine you already know that, right?
1: <laughs> yes. Well, we love children's books also, so we feel very much the same way. And thank you so much for all the nice words about our book, Eyes That We The World's Wonders.
0: So Joanna, this is not a first for you and it's almost like a series uh, that you have begun. And the story of why you did that, I think is very important here. Would you share that with us?
1: Sure. it's actually not a first for Liz either. Oh, but um, okay. Now Liz has another picture book out that was out last year.
2: yeah, last right. October.
1: yeah her it was it's called Come Join us. Right. Okay, it's so beautiful. It's about um, just diverse holidays from all around the world. But for me, for Eyes That Kiss in the Corners, which is the first book in this series, it's about a young girl who learns the power and the beauty of her eyes through the stories and the histories and relationships she has with her female family members. And just very quickly, that book to- took over a year and a half to sell to a publisher. So for it's my first um, published book. And for a very long time, I didn't know if I would ever have a published book. So to see it grow into this collection of three books is really such a surreal and special thing. Um, Eyes That Weave the World's Wonders came because actually when Eyes That Kiss in the Corners came out, There was a lot of really beautiful feedback um, and commentary from people who appreciated the book. And then we saw some comments from adoptive parents who were hesitant about giving the book to their kids because their kids didn't match, you know, their eyes. It would be a really different storyline. And my editor reached out and said, hey, would you be interested in writing a third book? Um, about an adoptee. And I said, no, (laughs) because I'm not an adoptee. It's not my story. And I think it's really important that people tell their own stories. And then I thought about it and I, um, you know, I feel like every opportunity to create a book is an opportunity to like amplify or share a story. That's for me and I think for Liz also a big reason about why we both became authors. We both are originally educators first. And so I said, I told my editor, this story, I could potentially write this story if I could do it with someone who is an adoptee. And Liz is a really well-respected educator, anti-bias, anti-racist facilitator, just all-around amazing human who I've been following online for a long time. And um, she, I thought, would be the perfect person to
0: write a book like this. So with. your it was your suggestion to do that?
1: Yeah, and when I told her like I wouldn't do it unless I wrote it with Liz, basically, with
0: Liz. <laughs> right? Ooh, that's power. <laughs> and so, did you know each other prior to this? I mean, and personally, you knew of each other, but did you have
2: a, a any kind of other connection? And we had. Um started our friendship through social media um through like sending messages on like Instagram and just gradually built our friendship up that way I think both of us had admired each other's work and presence for a while um and then had this incredible opportunity to collaborate which turned into a real life friendship (laughs) and partnership which is amazing I have to say
1: (laughs) I have to say though that I I mean I tell everyone this that um I was stalking Liz first she had a really big (laughs) platform way before I was published as an author. And I have a friend from high school who sent me her platform, because I'm also an educator, and said, hey, you should follow her. You would really like what she posts. And she was right. And it's just so rare that someone you know online is actually even more amazing in, in person. <laughs> and I think that about is.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, that is so wonderful. And And that underscores the value that we have with social media to be able to have these kind of connections grow. I love that. See, there's another great story. So then it came together. When did you actually come together to create the book? Great question. Was it or was it? Did it just evolve? We're well, well, sorry. We're store noodling. Remember. You know remember. At it least time. two years. It
1: must yeah. have been two. No, maybe like just because publishing is slow. slow. I feel yeah. like it was at least
2: 2021 the seed might have been planted then yeah and then the writing process yeah so we probably so the process of like
1: we were on board in terms of yes that sounds like a great idea I think on the publisher end it took a lot longer to get that all hammered out and then when that was hammered out we met on zoom for the first time to just I, I'm i not you know I to I interviewed Liz basically to learn her story, but what it
0: felt like, or her experience as an adoptee is where it started. Okay. And how are you feeling about this, Liz?
2: I'm thrilled. (laughs) I mean, it is really the story of me and my family and my journey. And I'm just really proud to be able to put something out that I think is nuanced in a way that is really lacking, um, when it comes to literature that features adoptees, because, say the majority of books out there about adoption and adoptees are not actually written by people who are adopted. They're often written by parents of adoptees or siblings or people who are not connected at all. And in that way, I think that's a type of representation we've really been lacking. I think there's definitely been more and more in recent years and just hoping that this trend continues. but it is really powerful to be able to see images from my childhood and my family in this book that we then get to share with like the entire world. It's very <laughs> surreal.
0: <laughs> and, and yes, maybe that's part of the beauty. Well, it is a big part of the beauty, uh, along with the story, to have the art and to depict what is going on. It just... I. The artistry here is, is phenomenal. And I, I think one of the pictures that really just seems to grab me, and I think maybe I read a little of your bio, Liz, that talked about one of the things you love to do is fly fishing. And there it was in the book. And I thought, oh, here it is. This was happening for her as a child. And you'd still love it. I
2: still love it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I grew up uh, learning how to fish with my dad and my grandpa. It's something that I think has been very popular on my dad's side of the family, and um, and to this day, like, I am an adult in my 30s, and my dad and I will try to go, I mean, it's winter right now, but in the fall, spring, and summer, go out as frequently as we can. Um, it's a very beloved pastime for us.
0: Oh. <laughs> and it's it's beautiful to incorporate all of that. What is critical here, though, is, is the adoptee and that we have the interracial adoption so that your parents flew to Korea correct, to, oh, yes, go ahead, please.
2: Um. In this case, so I identify as a transracial adoptee. So um, meaning that I am of one race and then adopted into a family of another race. And interestingly, I would say the only two things that are not completely accurate in the story are my parents did not fly to Korea. I was flown from Korea to DC and that my mom is not a ceramicist. (laughs) (laughs) Nor is she blonde, but- We'll Small
0: details. Details. We'll uh, yes. Yes. Small details. <laughs> the essence of the story is there. And that is, you know, I had read the phrase transracial. And as you say, it's because you identify with both since you're adopted by a, a Caucasian family, right? Yep. So, education on so many levels here. And that's typically um, what we find is that, well, it had been a lot of white families would adopt children from around the world, which is wonderful and complicated. And I think this is what happens with a book like this. It gives the children and the families a way to have an important conversation, which did you feel, Liz, that was something you needed as you were growing up?
2: yes very much so <laughs> um i love my parents um we have a really fantastic loving relationship we're very close and at the same time my parents were very much raised in this era of you know we don't see race we don't talk about that we just treat everyone the same and while i very much understand the intention behind that the impact means that you never get to talk about your identity when you have complex, complicated feelings about it. You don't have the language or necessarily even know who the people are that you can go to when you're having, you know, all of these big feelings about it. And so I really hope that this book serves as like an access point for parents of transracially adopted children or adoptees in general, especially because, you know, a lot of the questions in it around like, why did this happen? like. Where are my birth parents? Like what what were all the factors that led me to be here in this family instead of somewhere else? Um, as well as the representation, like in writing and an image of someone who is meant to be my birth mother. You can't avoid those conversations when you read this book, but I think it's done in a very loving way where hopefully we are guiding people through that conversation. Yeah.
0: Yes. And on your part, Joanna, was this also then an education, how did how were you feeling about the process and, and the education?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just an honor, as I mentioned earlier. <laughs> I've been following Liz for a long time, so it felt really special to be able to have so much insight. Like Liz, I think I've shared this before in different spaces, but it's, it's really, really challenging and um scary to write a book, a fictional book, based on something you make up in your brain into the world and so for Liz to really open her heart and her experiences and her the emotions and the very complex emotions to be able to open that in a way for me who we weren't you know very very close friends initially I think we shared a lot of mutual respect and like probably I feel like probably knew there's a like friendship potential there but we weren't at that level of relationship before she opened herself personally and so to then do that and you know, frankly, initially, I don't think either of us knew. We didn't set out with the goal of writing Liz's story. But because I had been following her, there's things I knew about her because of the way she shared when we started to draft the book, that's sort of just what happened. And it feels like that was what was supposed to happen. And I absolutely learned a lot. There's a lot I learned, again, because I followed to her online because she's very vocal about so many issues, but it feels... Um, just always like a gift to be able to be in someone's world and to learn. There's a whole adoptee community that I'm learning about and the ways that they advocate for each other. You know,
0: it's really powerful. And so the book is just freshly out. So we're going to hear a lot more and you're going to get a lot more response. But even in these initial days, how have you felt about the response?
2: Well, I'm be totally honest. Yeah. Um, there has been, I think, a lot of really positive support for it. Um, something that I'd shared earlier at an event we did was the surprise that so many biracial and multiracial folks I like identified with it and saw themselves in it because their physical appearance and identity didn't match those other members of their family, which was really, you know, gratifying to hear. And we've certainly heard a lot of stories about adoptees who have been dreaming and wishing for a book like this for their whole lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, I think because, as we said, like adoption is really complicated, and it certainly requires being able to hold space for multiple things to be Mm -hmm. true at the same time, that there is also an enormous amount of trauma and loss and sadness and grief. And I fully recognize also that not all adoptees have family relationships like I do. There are a number of adoptees out there, like to get real, who were legitimately stolen or taken from their biological families, who were trafficked as children, who were told lies about their origin stories. And I do think that for some who have much more traumatic experiences, that reading this can also be really challenging because it doesn't necessarily reflect their experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, we are not trying to tell the story that represents all adoptees. Mm -hmm. This is one story and what we hope will become many stories.
0: Yes. So I do feel that that's where many children's books, or at least some children's books, this being one of them, I feel, where you can use it as a launching place to write your own story. You yes. see, You yes. have this, Liz,
1: right? Sorry. Liz no. writes a
0: beautiful um, introductory letter, which just
1: encourages people to do that just shows the importance of stories i think i would add a couple things too is um, one thing i had shared also at the event that we did earlier is something that's been surprising to me is the way that this story has resonated with other children and adults who have questions about their own families so i am someone who does not have a relationship with my biological dad and i've had multiple students at school visits i've done this last week come and share I also, uh, my dad abandoned me when I was little or I only live with my mom or I live with my grandparents. I don't know my birth parents. Like there are just so many other stories where people have questions There are complex. There's love and there's complexity. And this book also opens up those connections and questions in ways that have been surprising for both of us. I mean, honestly, when we were writing it, it didn't even occur to me that this is an experience I don't have as an adoptee, but there are parts of it in terms of questioning and feeling abandoned and all of those things that um, are true for me as well. And I it didn't click until this week. So that's, that's one part of like the beauty of stories. I think just to add to what Liz was saying, I think that when, and both of us, when we tell stories, we're very intentional about writing stories that we needed as kids that, um, voicing stories that have for a very long time. And even today, our are band are in made invisible are erased. And so when you are in a community who has so rarely, if ever seen yourself in a story or seen a story that reflects you, oftentimes, there's a desire to have one story, be a universal story that matches every experience in an identity. And it's just, it's an impossible ask. And so the work is not about glorifying any one story, but continually building up and uplifting stories and creating space to tell more stories together.
0: Yeah, yes, together, exactly. And well, and using your own personal experience in creating this book, which is that launching pad, but how you then developed this real close connection, you, there's a, a sisterhood, there's a bond at least that, that's there that, is, that runs deeply, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah. I would keep telling people, like, it's very not often that you, like, have an online hero that is actually even better in real life. <laughs> because, like, you often hear, like, actually in publishing, too, like, you'll hear, don't meet the hero heroes. Because when you meet them and you have to work on their book, they're not what you thought they were. And in this case,
2: like, she's just the best. <laughs> You're the best.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, mutual admiration. And justifiably <laughs> so, because... You know, the way that it's come together, it's heartening. We need these kinds of stories today, Your this personal story, along with this wonderful new book, Eyes That Weave the World's Wonders. You know, the whole story together and the fact that making it our story, too, uh, is so creative in that way we can learn so greatly. So let's take a moment and say the book is, of course, widely available now, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, reach out to our favorite book sources, bookstores, uh, preferably our local bookshops. I really, uh, nice. right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank
2: you for saying that. Yes. Local <laughs> independent bookstores are where it's at. Yeah.
0: Exactly, and that's where invariably we're going to find story times, and uh, and you appear at some of them at, at book events. If we're lucky, we you might be in our area. Uh, being a podcast, people from who knows where may hear this and and can see if they might find you. So that that's a big plus these days. Uh, but also to connect with you, we were talking about social media. Uh, what's a good way for each of you for people to find you?
2: Um, on Instagram, my handle is at teach and transform. And my writing website is k l e i n r o c k. com.
0: Great.
1: And I'm at um, my website is Joanna Ho Writes. Joanna Ho is J O A N N A H O Writes, W R I T E S dot com. And then my handles. Uh, on social media platforms, mostly active on
0: Instagram, but on the other ones as well as at Joanna Ho Writes. <laughs> and what I found really interesting with your website, it has a, a bio for however you want to see Joanna, which, and I can see since we're doing this on Zoom, I can see kind of that 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 energy, that bubbliness, uh, and and it's true, right, Liz? She's just kind of effervescent. <laughs> and she really does love cookies. I really do. <laughs> Uh, so that's a um, a great gift to keep in mind if one wanted to give her something special, right?
1: Homemade, though. I'm really oh, picking Oh, I'm not store bought because I'm, you know,
0: spoiled. Yeah. It better. <laughs> Homemade, right out of the oven. Oh my goodness! So oh, it gets better and better. <laughs> Maybe we're going to have a a book that really incorporates cookies in it. Gosh, you know, I really
1: think about doing things yeah. like
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> Your next collaboration, right? right? Liz, I'm really also interested in the work you do uh, as an anti-racist and how, you, because you teach, I think, at the elementary level.
2: Is that right? Although I'm not clear. Well, I have an administrator this year <gasps> uh, over the past um I guess 13 ish years. I've taught every grade of elementary school. I've also taught middle school English. I've been an elementary school librarian, um, have taught in traditional public, charter, and independent schools. So I've had a lot of different educational experiences, but um, it also means that I have like a built in audience. <laughs> Whenever I'm, you know, writing a draft, I can always take it to students and see what they think, and they are. The most honest critics. <laughs> <will find.
0: laughs> true. Yeah. Plus, there is a little bit of fodder that that is there. You know, when you're interacting with them, right on a on a regular basis, it's like, oh my gosh, that could be a great story, uh, or a great part of a story.
2: Very much so. But really, the core of the work um, in anti bias and anti racist education is really ensuring that we are trying to minimize bias and increase visibility as much as possible to make sure that schools and classrooms are places where all community members, students, teachers, administrators, parents, and caregivers are not only represented, but they're very much affirmed for who they are and whatever we can do in lots of different aspects of education. It certainly is not a one-size-fits-all.
0: Exactly.
2: And at the
0: elementary level, I have teaching in my background and I wish I had done elementary because I think elementary school is where we really have that opportunity to impart so much information and and help children be excited about their lives that it, it's so critical I, I it, and I think both of you are just such a great human beings to be in that position, you know, helping to really inspire these young minds, and and that's what we need, I think, f- to ensure a good future.
1: Yeah, Definitely. I love that. I, so I work in high schools, mm-hmm. so, so, scary. I Wait, so I know. I talk about I think middle school is, I love high school. So I've been a high school administrator, um, a high school teacher. And um, I actually think part of the gift of working with young people is, is less about us imparting and more about us learning and finding mm-hmm. hope because they, like the young people we work with are so amazing and, so, and brilliant. so brilliant and they see and they're insightful. And I think sometimes our job is just to provide tools that they can use to articulate the things they're already processing. And for, as an author, I feel like working in schools gives me so just as a human actually gives me hope for the future. Because the things that the kids are talking about now in high school are certainly not things I was talking about when I was in high school. They're so aware. And it's inspiring.
0: Indeed. And along those lines, I was just hearing it. It was on NPR uh, (laughs) about uh, children, fifth graders who are having an opportunity to be governors In their school. so they are learning a process. What would they do? And I, I was just utterly amazed at the ideas that they have. So yes, that's it. Using these classrooms as these places to discuss and nurture and embrace and and really uh, you find you know that we are all in this together uh, to to build a better world. Absolutely right. And so back to the book though. That to having eyes that weave the world's wonders and and looking at uh, the, the place of children. And there are a lot of ad- adoptees, which is specifically here. But I'm glad, too, that you're saying, uh, Joanna, how, you know, others are identifying here, too, whether they're living with their grandparents or there's a single parent family finding that, again, that's where books allow us to have these conversations and identify and and find a a source of calm and reassurance.
2: Picture books are the best. (laughs) We're a little biased. but And are not just for kids. Adults should read
0: picture books too. My point exactly uh, is that the wisdom is there it uh, it's just synthesized so if you if someone feels they don't have a lot of time to read pick up the children's books it's it's right there for us right yeah. I think
1: picture books are really powerful because there's so many layers in the text and in the illustrations together. So you can, you can they are written so that an adult can read them to kids, which means they have to appeal to both age groups, which means an adult is able to read within the layers and see the nuance and complexity that maybe a five-year-old can't yet. Mm-hmm. I think in Eyes That Weave the World's Wonder, something we've talked about a lot lately is there's for example one line that talks about how love must look like letting go and that can be really a hard line for many people to read um and i think that if you're a child you can read it one way and as an adult we can read it another way it's like you're either talking about a birth parent or you're talking about yourself looking for answers that you might never find you know about about your birth family and so the layers within picture books are make them accessible and I think uh, not just like you can all read them, but like something that can really open minds and questions for people of all ages.
0: Yes, truly. Oh, and th- and they are an art piece. So I feel they're an amazing gift for any kind of occasion. And really, we, d- we can do, sure. if we're ever kind of stuck for something, what do I get someone reach out to especially this book because it's your local bookstore. (laughs) Yes. And and get a children's book because I think it really has a way to, to impact us. And as we've discovered this morning, in this conversation, you know, just how much is packed into this book and how it can really touch and, and support uh, so many people, all of us. Yes. Right.
1: Thank you so much for saying that.
0: (laughs) Oh, Oh, absolutely. Uh, Any other thoughts or parting words that come to mind that, you know, in in our conversation we haven't touched on?
1: just like, do you want to share what you have coming out next? Sure. Uh
2: Um, So my next book out is a collaboration with actually someone who is another mutual friend (laughs) of ours. Um, Her name is Caroline Cousin Pritchard, and she's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have a middle grade nonfiction biography book coming out in the fall, in September, Mm -hmm. called What Jewish Looks Like, because my adoptive family is Jewish. I'm also very proudly Jewish. And growing up, heard a lot of well, you don't look Jewish being Korean. Um, and to that, I'm like, well, I'm I'm Jewish and this is what I look like. So I don't know what to tell you, um, but it is a collection of 36 biographies of Jewish folks from history and present day who are diverse across all different types of identity.
0: Oh, sounds I
2: have another one coming out too. <laughs> I
1: have uh, my next one is comes out in April, on April 16th. It's called We Who Produce Pearls, an anthem for Asian America. Oh. And it really is an exploration of the parallels of between the multiple diverse histories of the Asian diaspora and ways in which we've always risen up and spoken out, taken up space, and an invitation for us to stand on the shoulders of those who've come before and continue to work in solidarity and to keep fighting for you know greater justice
0: in the world. Oh, mm. oh they both are amazing. It gives me chills. So we must be t- speaking again. I guess it'll be it'll be. (laughs) But, you know, yes, we need to about both of these books coming out because they definitely are needed. And uh, again, the way that we are able to reach people and share ideas and 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 really nurture the hope going forward. Yes. So I, yes. uh, you, I can't say enough about how amazing I feel. You both are, and the work that you doing are doing is just so critical. Um, and the fact that you are educators, so critically important. So, uh, your students are really fortunate. I feel to be able to, yeah, to, to be with you. I, I, I'm sure they have their moments, but I, I would expect <laughs> <Thanks for two. laughs> uh, overall, they're, they're probably just in, uh, in love with you. I'm going to say <laughs> that. <laughs> well, again, it's been such a pleasure encouraging everyone to get to your local bookstore and pick up a copy of Eyes That Weave the World's Wonders. It just has so much wisdom, comfort, insight for all of us to glean. And especially here, you know, the focus being on adoptees, there are so many in our world that uh, I know this is going to bring uh, calm and comfort.
1: Thank Thank you so much. Thanks for having
0: us on. Oh, I am so grateful that we were able to be together and uh, looking forward, as I said, to the next (laughs) ones that we'll have an opportunity to discuss and savor as well. So many, many thanks. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much.
0: That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Joanna Ho and Liz Kleinrock and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dean Regas. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Just click on the Listen tab, then Podcasts, and then either of the show names, and then you'll scroll down for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of asking questions and sharing stories and simply bonding together.